0: Welcome back, everyone. Well, I've got a great episode for you today with a former two-sport college athlete who made it to the NFL. But what made my conversation with Travis Dorsch most interesting was what he's done since his playing days. He's now a renowned sports psychologist whose academic research centers around the relationship between parents and kids in sports and how you can become a better sports parent. Now, before we get going, I have a confession. I should probably do a whole episode on this because there's a lot to unpack. But this episode made me take a hard look at my own sports parenting. I don't talk about this a lot because I don't want to embarrass my kids. But as much interest as I have in youth sports and in the path young kids take to college, and as much as that has helped me understand, at least on paper, what kids need, I have not exactly been the picture of perfect sports parenting myself. In fact, there was a moment in my conversation with Dr. Dorsch when I'll admit that my mind wandered thinking about not just all the things I think I've done to set my kids up for success in sports, but to the reality that I've actually gone off rail way more times than I would like to admit, both in supporting them as a sports parent and as a parent generally. I'll leave those stories for another day, but that's a long way of saying that there are some very valuable lessons in today's episode about how you can best support your child in their individual sports development, including leaning on them to understand what they want from their sport and their social development as much as you consider what you want out of sports for them. Travis also has great advice on the importance of playing multiple sports for as long as possible, how to position yourself for the highest levels of success in sports, how to tread the line between being supportive without being overbearing as a parent, how to inspire lifelong commitments to physical activity in our kids and help them avoid just burning out completely on sports and quitting altogether after their competitive playing days end how we should rethink the return on investment we expect from our kids' participation in competitive sports, and what are a few practical ways you can become a better sports parent who doesn't lose the trust and respect of your kids. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Travis Dorsch. So you were a two-sport athlete at Purdue. You played baseball and football. How did you manage to not only play two sports, but two of the more
1: demanding sports time-wise? Yeah, I didn't I didn't sleep a lot and uh I wasn't always in class maybe when I should have been. But uh, you know, that was my dream was to be a college athlete. And um, you know, I, I did the best I could to to make sure that I was a student athlete. Um, you know, I I was an academic all big ten. You know, school was important, I joke about it, but uh, you know, trying to just make sure all the pieces fit and trying to make sure that I, I was in class and, and was, was keeping up with my schoolwork. And at the same time, yeah, trying to balance the demands of of course football was one was A. That was my my scholarship sport and uh and baseball being a spring sport, just kind of had to work with both sets of coaches to balance the time and the engagement and the travel uh that went along with that. And 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 of course there were times when I when I couldn't travel with a baseball team or couldn't be at a practice on a certain day. And at the same time, you know, opportunities where you know I missed things uh during spring football. Uh so just really a balancing act, I would say. So
0: what, what advice might you give to young athletes and to their families about sticking with multiple sports, even as the pressure builds to specialize in one?
1: You know, I think, I think it all comes down to the young athletes' motivation. And I think my, my advice is play as many sports for as long as you can. For a lot of kids, they're, they're now in the, in the general ecosystem that we have in youth sports, they're being forced kind of to decide when they approach high school. Like, are you going to be a high school baseball player? Or are you going to be a high school football player? And I think there are still some school districts, there are still some some coaches and administrators that are going about it the right way. Uh, most of those, I think, tend to be kind of in suburban and, and maybe even more so in rural uh, type environments where uh, the crop, if you will, of athletes is is smaller and, and, and they encourage athletes to bounce from sport to sport to sport. But at the same time, those athletes now, I think, typically have people in their ears Around, hey, you won't you, know, you won't achieve your potential necessarily in, in one sport if you're playing all of these sports. And I wholeheartedly disagree. Uh, but it's the ecosystem that we live in. So yeah, the advice I think for for parents or athletes is play as many as you can for as long as you can until somebody says or you feel that you really do need to uh, to decide.
0: What value do you think you got from you know learning two sports and developing at the high level that you did in two sports?
1: Yeah, and I mean, for me, I think it was even more. Uh, you know, as a four sport, I was a four sport athlete in high school, and and the opportunity, in addition to football and baseball, the opportunity to to play basketball at a very high level. We we're a state championship basketball winning team. Uh, ran track. Uh, we had you know a number of great athletes on the track team, and 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 I was able to do a couple of events that you know I otherwise wouldn't have had that opportunity to do. I think that transferred over to the other sports as well. But really, the lessons I think for me were playing for multiple coaches. Playing with multiple teammates, kind of learning a different worldview, a different perspective, a different sport uh, approach and style, and I, and I think there was just so much value in that. That when I did have to quote unquote decide and and go on to college and and had to trim it to two sports, I was bet I was a better athlete because of it, because of those experiences I had in youth sports and then through middle school and through high school, and I reflected on the lessons I learned from those coaches in my in my sort of non top two sports and. And what I gleaned from that and those experiences and the friendships that I made. And still to this day, you know, going back to the 20 and 25 high school year reunions and, and talking to those athletes and sharing stories, you know, from the track and from the basketball court and, and having those be some of my best lifelong friends is, is a lot of fun.
0: So you had what you like to say was a cup of tea in the NFL as a punter, meaning I don't think you stayed very long and spent very much time in the league. If you were giving advice to young players now about how to set themselves up for the highest levels of success, whether that's making it to a Division I program or potentially playing professionally, what would you
1: tell them? Just enjoy the experience, really embrace it, and take a moment to stop and look around at every step. I, I recall really vividly walking the field, of the frozen grass under my feet at the state championship football game in, in Montana uh, on the Saturday before Thanksgiving in 1997, and and just how that felt, how it smelled, how it looked, uh, sharing an embrace with with my parents and teammates and coaches after we lost that game. Then coming back during that that basketball season in the winter of 98 and, and winning the state championship. And remember the, I remember walking on the turf at the Rose Bowl as a junior at Purdue and sharing a laugh with guys like Drew Brees and some of the other great players that I got a chance to play with. And just those are the things that they can't take away, right? I mean, good and bad, sports has all of it was fortunate to have a lot of success in sport and I also had some some great failures in sport things that I learned life lessons from but just kind of all those memories that go along with it I think is what I would encourage young people to embrace about sport and it ends sooner than you think you know whether that's when you're 13 and you don't make the the club the travel team uh in my case when you're 25 or 26 and someone says you're not quite good enough anymore it always ends it's going to end for Uh, for LeBron James someday, it's going to end for all of us. And I think no matter what level you rise to is just embracing those moments, embracing the lessons, the good, the bad, all the things that shape you as a young man or a young woman through sport, I think is the important piece.
0: We don't get a lot of chances to bring former NFL players on the show. So I think you're actually the first. Tell us what you learned from that experience of playing in the league and how it's helped you in other aspects of your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what I learned most quickly was that it's a business. They don't, they don't really care about the, the human behind the uniform. They do. I mean, they, they do things to, you know, to encourage growth and development. Um, but that's all toward the end of, of winning. Right. And then once, once you're at a point where you're not helping them win anymore, I think, you know, it, it very much becomes a business and that's, that's appropriate. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar enterprise, but it's different. Right. It has a different feel. People always ask me the question around, you know, Oh, it must have been amazing to play. You know, in the NFL. Well, not really. It was a job, and I approached it that way. Um, you know, and there there still needs to be a love for your job, just like when you take on any career endeavor, you should love what you're doing. And I did, but it was it was a very different feel than than playing in college, where you're playing for that university on the front of your jersey, or or in high school, where you're playing for your city, your town, your community, uh, your family. Uh, just had a very different feel. So I think, you know, at each transition in sports, there are are different goals associated with those transitions. There are different, you know, ways that you approach uh, your your work as an athlete. So, um, you know, just enjoy that. And and every transition you get to make, appreciate what was given to you by those around you, you know, at, at the setting before, right? So when I got to college, just really appreciating what everybody did for me in high school to get me there because it's a team effort. And then when I move on to the NFL, even if briefly, right? Appreciating all those people at the college level and high school and before that did everything, you know, sacrificed so many things to get me there. So it's uh, it's not just an athlete as an end of one. It's 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 a community. It's a group of people. It's it's a family that that get that person and allow them to achieve.
0: What made you go to Purdue? Like you you kid kid who grew up in Montana? It's not like you'd see Purdue on TV watching football growing up. They weren't in the Rose Bowl too much when you were a kid, probably. What 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 was yeah, what I mean, went into that consideration? I
1: wish I could say that it was all the NIL money, but but that didn't exist back then. Um, you know, I think for a kid from out west, from Montana, right, we saw a lot of Pac-12 football, the USCs, the Washingtons, the Stanfords. And for me, it was kind of, I think, going to be a new and novel experience to go play Big Ten football in the Midwest. You see the Rose Bowl every year, right? The granddaddy of them all. I mean, you see the teams like Michigan and Ohio State. And, and of course, Purdue was not and probably is still not in their class. But in terms of an academic and athletic package where I could go and get a great education, play two sports, be sort of in, in the heart of the country, in the heart of the Big Ten conference was hard to turn down. And And I had other offers, of course, in football some offers in basketball and baseball as well. Uh, But ultimately, I think it boiled down to what was the best spot for me to be as a a person, as a student, and as an athlete. And and I think that was going to be at Purdue.
0: So Purdue was also the sort of start of your research career. And you did quite a bit of interesting research. And pretty early on, it seems you identified sports and the parent-child relationship in sports as a topic of what you were going to research and write about. How did you come to that, that idea?
1: yeah I was sort of i think just sort of fell into it serendipitously. I mean, you know growing up, obviously my parents were were really involved and and I get to purdue and I'm a developmental psychology major, and I'm thinking about where is the intersection of my two passions or really my three passions if you think about sport um families, and then kind of the the human right the humanistic side of it, the human development piece of it and and we all know and talk about uh, the family as a context for development. I think those of us that are passionate about sport, we think of sport as another context uh, for positive development for young people, and then bringing in the psychological aspect of it. As I said, as a as a dev psych major, I thought was the nice sort of uh, third leg of the stool, so to speak, and really at the intersection of all of these was was my experience. And I think in science, oftentimes us as researchers, we we often study what we are or who we are, and for me, I was really interested in this in this journey that young people take and how they're afforded opportunities through sport by their parents and how all of that kind of comes together in sport families. But then when I got to Purdue and I, I saw other other athletes, other friends, other other teammates whose parents were also involved, but they had a very different sport journey or very different upbringing and very different outcomes for that matter. So I was interested in kind of the uniqueness and the and the crossover of how families are involved in sport, how that leads to certain specific outcomes for young people and how those lessons then transfer later into life. I want to get into
0: some of the details that will help parents and families as they navigate this journey with their kids through sport. Before we get into that, I wanted to say you had a pretty specific, unique experience with your own family and your own parents, and it wasn't a negative one like with a lot of kids in sports where their parents are pushing them too hard or it's, it's not a good experience. Tell us a little bit about how that shaped your early research.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the great thing for me and for my younger brother was that sport was always about us. It was about our journey. And, and sure, our parents were super involved. You know, dad coached a lot of our sports growing up, specifically baseball. Mom was always there. I, I laugh because she had the, she was the mom with the license plate, you know, hawk mom, uh, for our, for our high school team. Like she was, you know, always at the forefront organizing the parents, making sure the kids were where they needed to be. And, and they were just super involved. But at the same time, there's a, there's a nuanced distinction there, because I think you can be really involved and it becomes about you as a parent, or you can be really involved and it stays about the kids. And they were definitely the latter of the two. And I just, you know, I recall all the time having them around and sharing in our successes, sharing in our failures, maybe more importantly, but always being there. And I think that was, you know, that was huge for for me and my brother uh, as we came up in sports. So yeah, very, very much you know, my uh, my academic career now very much stems from my own upbringing and, and my own parenting. In fact, I have a, an eight and a six-year-old and and my parenting is largely modeled, you know, after theirs. And I think the one thing that stands out to me is um, this idea in parenting that you want to be both demanding, but also responsive, right? That you want to provide support systems, but also have high expectations. And when one comes in the absence of the other, you can you can have some issues, right? If you have a parent that's super demanding, but not very responsive, not very there, not very supportive, there can be obvious issues. But also at the same time, if you have the parent that's just sort of always supportive, always the best friend, you know, always doing things for the child, but but, but then there's no, you know, there's no need for excellence. There's no need for you know, sort of demanding a certain level of, of inputs from the athlete, then then I think you can also fall into some traps. So kind of balancing both of those, I think is really important for for parents.
0: What a tough line to toe. As a parent and a parent with kids who play sports, I know how challenging that can be. I struggle with it. How do you tread that
1: line between being supportive but not overbearing? Yeah, that's a really good one. I mean, I think each parent needs to sort of feel that out for themselves. And and, and more than that, it, it varies by child within the house, right? Not every kid, even every kid in your family needs the same level of support, the same level of demandingness, the same level of you know motivation. So it's really a feeling out process, and 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 luckily for us as parents, we have many years to do that with our with our children, um, and and we build into these these road kind of you know routines and interaction patterns and styles, and those can be healthy or not. So I think first and foremost, I mean, what I tell parents is is communicate with your child, ask them what they want, they need, uh, what sports they want to play, how much time and effort and energy they want to put into those sports. And then you become sort of a, a backstop right you think about like bumper bowling right you're kind of you're kind of there on the edges your guardrail to make sure that your kids are getting the experience that they want and at times that means that maybe you have to talk to a coach maybe you have to talk to an administrator maybe you yourself have to have a talking to you know with with yourself or your spouse or partner in the mirror um you know around your role and your engagement but but it should always boil down to what the kid wants out of their sport experience because the minute it becomes mom or dad's experience. The kid's gone, whether or not physically, they might just be gone mentally or motivationally speaking, but um, ultimately it's got to be their journey.
0: Well, the other challenging thing is a lot of time it's, it is about the coach and what the coach needs and the coach dictates the amount of practice time, the amount of expectations that's put on the kid. And I wonder how as a good parent, you navigate that.
1: Yeah, a good parent is is, you know, nice colloquial way to say something that we really can't define, right? And I think ultimately it it needs to be up to our kids to define are we succeeding in our parent role? Um, it, it shouldn't necessarily matter what the coach thinks or what anybody else thinks, but is our kid happy with our engagement? Are they happy with the support that we're providing? Are they happy with the opportunities that we're providing them? Right. And I think ultimately you think about parent roles, and there's kind of three parent roles, right? We're we're a provider of those experiences. Um, but we're, we're also an interpreter of those experiences. I mean, when our, when our kid does something on the field and we, and we laugh or smile or cheer, our kids are getting a message from that. If they do something on the, on the court and and we, we lock up our arms like this and frown and turn away and don't make eye contact or have a, a pouty, a pouty mood about us, they also receive a message. So I think it's important to think about, to be introspective as parents, you know, what, what are we, what are we cheering for? What are we rewarding? You know, so often I see parents are, are paying their kids for for this or that, for scoring a goal, and I'm thinking, what are we reinforcing if we're paying our kid for scoring a goal? You know, could we be reinforcing it for hustle on defense or for passing to a teammate and the teammate scores the goal, or for being a great listener, uh, for being coachable? Right? Like, what are the, what are the lessons that we're rewarding? What are the things we're cheering for and happy about? What are we having conversations about in the car ride home? Our kids are keen, and they pick up on these things, uh, and those become the things that they then internalize. Right as we socialize our young people, they internalize what's important to us as parents, especially at the younger ages. Eventually, then they they begin to to lean more into peers and lean more into trusted mentors and coaches and teachers down the road. But look, when the kids are six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old, even. They care about what we care about, and, and they only know what we care about when we tell them or when we show them. So I think it's important that, that we do a great job of being purposeful about, again, what we're, what we're talking about, what we're communicating about, what we're cheering about, what we're, God forbid, paying them for on the sport field, um, that, that we send the appropriate messages through those behaviors.
0: So in your research, you talk about several different stages of parental involvement one, at the the young age, 6 to 12, you call it the sampling stage. Between 13 and 15, this is more of like you're starting to specialize. Then after 16, you call it more of like the investment stage. What's different about those stages and what did you learn in your research that could be helpful to parents as they navigate their changing role over time?
1: Yeah, first and foremost, I think that it's important to acknowledge that the, those those three stages, the terminology from those three stages comes from a really nice systematic line of research from Jean Coté uh, in Canada and, and his group. They've been doing work in this area for a long time, and it, it really comes down to their their conceptualization, the developmental model of sports, uh, sport socialization, uh, sport participation, excuse me. And, and Coté and colleagues and, and now others in the field are talking about this as sort of a developmentally appropriate trajectory, right? When we think about how kids come up through sport, how they're socialized into sport and through sport. And I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is those, those ages are just sort of guidelines, right? You you very well could have a, a younger athlete, especially in some of these earlier specializing sports, like ice skating, like gymnastics, like snow, you know, alpine skiing, where young people are specializing earlier. But I think the, the impetus really behind their model and their conceptualization of the stages is that there's an appropriateness to playing a lot of sports early on to figuring out what your body is good at, what does your mind like, uh, what kind of situations do you want to put yourself in, in sport to learn both as an athlete and a person. And so typically that's that sampling stage, right? And and we know through a motor behavior lens that there's a lot of learning and transfer that occurs. If I'm out playing soccer as a seven-year-old, that is making me a better basketball player. That is making me a better football player. And right? if I'm running track, that's making me better at all these sports. If I'm doing gymnastics, I'm learning to move my body and there's transfer there that happens. But ultimately, right, most kids get to a stage around the age of 13, where we're going to transition now and begin to kind of focus on the things, A, that we love and B, that we're good at. So, you know, around 13, 14, 15, we see kids moving into kind of one or two primary sports. This is around the transition to junior high and high school. And that's typically, I think, where young people kind of find their niche, if you will. And then again, another, a second transition, typically in the back half of high school and, and to college for those that are lucky enough to participate into sort of an investment, right? Where it's now I'm kind of putting all the eggs in this singular basket and I'm going to give it my go and, and see where it takes me. That might end in high school. It might end in college. You might be fortunate enough that you could get to continue on after that. But but again, Cote and colleagues really look at this as a developmentally appropriate transition progression through sport. Now, back to the advice that you asked me about earlier, I think, you know, continuing to play as much as you can for as long as you can is also important. So for me, that transition kind of to, to specialization didn't happen really, even until college, or maybe even into the NFL, I was fortunate to be able to play multiple sports in high school for other kids, right? Because either they want to, or they feel like they need to, to get on the field, they might need to make that transition at at 12 or 13 years old, to get on the team in junior high, to then have a chance to play on the team in high school. But I think where we go wrong as parents and adults is layering on all those expectations of high performance early, such that young kids at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, think that this is all I can do because I have to become an expert or I'm not going to make the team, which means I'll never play in high school, which means I'll never have a chance to achieve my ultimate goal.
0: It's part of the reason why we have such a stressed out generation of kids, frankly. I mean, I've reported on this for a long time. And it just feels like there's so kids are under so much more pressure and it's not just sports, but across academics and everything that they feel like this is their only shot. They're in eighth grade. You're going to get more papers. You're going to get more chances to prove yourself. And yet there's, there's such an inherent pressure put on kids that they develop, you know, mental health issues at far
1: younger ages. And I think you're absolutely right. This is not only a sport conversation. I mean, we're having young people that are being encouraged to pick a college major in sixth and seventh grade, right? So they can do all the after-school clubs. And so they can get in a research laboratory on campus as a, as a high schooler and start focusing on their, on their career. We're seeing it in, in um, music, right? That you you can't be an orchestra and choir and band anymore because you need to focus on one instrument that will look good on your Vita. So when you apply for colleges, right, you can say that you've been doing this for, for eight or 10 or 12 years. I think you're absolutely right. Kids are feeling the pressure. I think, in large part, that comes from us as adults and parents. But so to, to to be fair, the playing field I think is set up such that parents also feel the pressure to afford their kids the opportunities to succeed and are and are getting constant messages from communities and societies more broadly that that you've got to help your kids figure it out early or they're going to get left behind. So while it's easy, I think, to blame parents for pushing kids too hard, I think parents are also operating in an in a ecosystem in which the messaging suggests that you got to get your kids going earlier or they're going to get left behind.
0: You've been part of some research that's been done recently through the Aspen Institute, and I think they've, they're looking at new models and ways that we can improve youth sports for kids and outcomes. What, what are some of the takeaways that you you've gained from that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there are a number of barriers, systemic barriers that kids face and sports are are not getting cheaper. When you think about what it costs to get your kid onto a travel baseball team, or my kids are both skiers to get them the ski passes and up to the mountain and all the equipment that it necessitates. Sports are are not inexpensive for the most part. There are still some some areas where we can get kids in on the cheap, but but for the most part, it's, it's getting more expensive, especially if those kids are high achievers and want to you know, pursue a trajectory that would allow them to go to college someday, let's say. It's not just lower class kids anymore, but even middle class kids are getting priced out. How do we give these kids the opportunity to seek and find a sport pathway that, that fits them, that fits what they love, fits what their, their body will enable them to do well? But then not only that, we're, I, I, think, I think there are a lot of private foundations and organizations that are doing things to get kids in the door. But once they figure it out that they love it, how do we keep them there? How do we kind of build those bridges from where mom and dad have the kid on scholarship early on to where, you know, they might be able to go and and earn their own way in a college environment? I think that that bridge um, is not strong here in the United States, that window between 13 to, to 18. I think we can do a better job with that. And I think that that lends itself to the conversation around how do we overcome some of these barriers? How do we get more kids involved in more sports, more of the time? If in fact, we, as a society believe that's a good thing. And I think we do. I think we also need to figure out where does sport reside? Is it a, is it a community enterprise? Is it an interscholastic enterprise? Is it a private for-profit, uh, you know, niche market enterprise? where, where should it live? And it, and it doesn't have to, those don't have to be mutually exclusive, but I think what, what we're doing right now is we're, we're seeing separation of the haves and the have nots where the haves are pursuing all these travel opportunities, private coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, camps, athlete schools, these sorts of things. And then the have nots basically are looking at either community recreational type sport focus or maybe playing for their school district and we all know that 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 is not necessarily the pathway towards college anymore um club seems to be moving in that direction so i think there's a lot we could do to fix it but but one thing i want to keep in mind is that sport should be a lifelong passion now there are some sports you can't play at a lifelong capacity like you know american football and and there are there are other sports it's hard to get 18 people together and go play baseball but the love of sport the ability to play sport uh, you know, the, the, the understanding of one's body and the love of moving one's body should be something that we're instilling in young people such that there isn't a gap when when a kid graduates from high school and doesn't have sport, that they don't take it up again until now their kids are young and they're going to become a coach, right? What about in that 18 to 35 age range, whether it's intramurals in college, whether it's community level rec sports for adults, what are we doing to create lifelong people who love to move their body. And I think that's a big question for me is, how can we take all the good that's in, that's inherent in youth sport and then transition it into young adulthood such that then we have people that have become lifelong, you know, whether it's golfers, skiers, tennis players, pickleball is huge now. Uh, we want people moving their bodies and loving doing it.
0: Well, so completely agree with so much of what you just said there. And it's interesting to think about as a parent of kids who are Enjoy sports and who are good in sports and want to play competitively. There aren't many paths. The paths tend to be ones that cost a lot of money. And I hear what you're saying about like we have to evaluate as a society whether we want that to be the way it is. We want to just create a path only for people who have money to play sports, Um, or do we value sports so much that we put more into them as as a community and we make sure that those opportunities exist still? Do you see a world where? we will have more community-based sports and that there are ways for kids to continue to play a variety of sports for longer without having to pay quite as much? Or do you think that the cat is out of the bag, that money has taken over this and that the only path forward is for people who have money?
1: I kind of see both, actually. I think they're going to end up having to coexist. I do think the train has left the station on on club and pay-to-play and travel sports. I don't think that's going away as long as, as long as our country is a market economy, I don't think that's going to go away. It's hard for anybody to tell, uh, an adult that you can't start your own team or start your own business. And, and there are sure clientele out there for that person, right? At the same time, I think we also have a strong grassroots movement towards, um, community level sport, towards recreational sport, towards opportunity for all. Unfortunately, I don't think those pathways lead to the same outcomes necessarily, One being focused more on sort of performance outcomes and the other on more sort of socio-emotional, intrapersonal and interpersonal outcomes. And that's okay. I mean, I think people are free to pursue whatever they want in sports. I wish we could have the best of both worlds with the understanding that those don't need to be mutually exclusive, that you can pursue high-level performance and also focus on the socio-emotional aspects of sport, the community building that occurs through sport. And that In fact, you can pursue that community building and socio-emotional development while at the same time pursuing high-level outcomes. So, you know, I think they can coexist, but I think we've created a bifurcated pathway where uh, parents, families, kids are being forced kind of to choose.
0: Yeah, totally agree. So let's talk a little bit more about your research that you've done over time with regard to the parent-child relationship in sports. What are some big takeaways that you have from that research? That could be helpful for parents as they're raising kids who are interested in playing sports in
1: college? Yeah, a great um big picture question. I mean, I think, you know, anytime you mention the C-word now, college, we start talking about a lot of investment on the part of parents and families. Uh, and that investment, you know, really really leads to a lot of, I think, unintended down, downstream consequences for young people and for the families. You know, look, we all know that we want return on our investment. And if we think about our kids' sport careers as an investment, I think we can go astray. And I think that's where a lot of people oftentimes fail in their relationship as parents to young people. Anytime you start layering on the necessary investment that it takes for families to allow their kids to get to the highest levels of sport, parents are seeking some return on that. You know, whether that's, hey, I want my kid to start, you know, on the high school team. I want my kid to get that college scholarship or man, I want my kid to go play professionally. This is the reason I'm investing the money in you, right? And I think, again, I'm speaking for parents here, wanting that, that ROI, that return on investment. If we can reframe that into you a know, better kind of reconceptualizing parents' goals around why do we get our kids started in the first place? Go back to that very day that you saw that flyer at the community center and said, I'm signing my kid up for rec soccer. What, what was... What was the reason that you picked up that flyer, got on that website, and signed him or her up for soccer? And if we can ask ourselves those questions in the mirrors, right, it was probably because we wanted them to learn to love to move their bodies, to be out on the field with friends, to learn to respect authority figures in their coach, to learn how to get over disagreements with their teammates, to learn how to win gracefully uh, and lose gracefully for that matter. So all of those lessons and, and things that matter to us as a parent when our kid is six, they shouldn't go away. We can definitely scaffold in, you know, a higher level of engagement and expectation for excellence. And we want our kids to be able to pursue goals and and their passions, but all the other stuff shouldn't go away. Again, back to this idea that it shouldn't be mutually exclusive. So in terms of the investment that's happening on the part of parents and the return on that investment that we should be expecting, the ROI should come from those things, from our kids developing into wonderful humans who know how to win and lose, who respect authority figure. Uh, you know, who can get along and manage and negotiate and and talk to their teammates, um, who become good ambassadors for the community and for the kids that will come behind them. All of these things matter. At the same time, they can pursue excellence in sport. They can pursue that college scholarship. But you know what? 98% of the kids who pursue a college scholarship are going to fail. Of those that are fortunate and go to college, 98% of them are not going to get to the professional level. So you're talking about 2% of 2%. That are going to get to go play professionally. So if we hang our hat on that, and if that's the only reason we're putting in all that money and time and emotion and energy as parents, we've sort of failed from the start. So, look, the message here is not don't put money and effort and energy and time into your kid's sports. the The, the message is check yourself on your goals. Make sure first and foremost they align with your kid's goals. Okay, and then understand that for every athlete in the history of time, it ends in failure. Okay, whether whether that's again when they're 13, 18, 25 or 45 like Tom Brady, maybe we'll see when failure is for him, maybe 46 or 47. But it always ends there. So understand, you know, how are you defining success? What kind of ROI do you want? And how can I support my kid on their journey?
0: These sound like family conversations too. So I think that's probably rooted in the sort of research that you've done too is like how are parents communicating with their kids? What kinds of expectations are set for kids sports? And how much do kids get to play a part in that? So it wasn't just that you were saying, make sure you have goals as parents that align with values that you're trying to teach them. But it's it's just as important, it seems, for the kids to have a voice in that, especially as they get older or they'll grow resentful, to make sure that they have enough input into the decisions that, that are dictating what they're doing with their time. So when you looked at your research, what did you find about successful college student outcomes about the communication
1: between parents and students? Yeah. Again, great question. I mean, I think one of the things in our in our work that's been funded by the NCAA, we've been looking at sort of parent involvement and how that's related to student athlete outcomes. And what we found has been really interesting, and that is um parent contact. So that, you know, that could be by way of phone call, text message, social media, whatever it is, but staying in touch with, staying involved with your student athlete when they go to college is, is a really important marker of student athlete success, um, support. So just the student feeling generally supported that, you know, you send them a care package, you get them home for the holidays, you make sure they have their basic needs. You make sure that they feel like they have a sounding board. If they need to talk somebody aside from the coach or a university administrator, and then also being engaged with their academics and and athletic performance, right? Caring, you know, being, you know, Hey, how's this class going? Hey, how'd practice go without Caring without prying, I guess, is a good way to say it. The interesting thing about these four domains of parent involvement is that they, on one hand, create a better experience for the student-athlete. The student-athlete feels more efficacious uh, as a student and as an athlete. They feel like their college journey is successful when parents are involved in these ways. But at the same time, there's sort of a catch-22 in our data. And we we also found that student-athletes, when parents are more involved, are less likely to show um, sort of adult characteristics or maturity in terms of being an adult. So, you know, maybe less likely to to do their own laundry, to buy their own meals, to pay their own, you know, car payment, uh, to pay their own rent, these sorts of things. So we're finding that there are some pros and some cons, but we, we also felt as a research team that the pros outweigh the cons. There is time later for quote unquote growing up for student athletes. And I think we see that just anecdotally in society, right? That oftentimes student athletes Um, they've they've been labeled pampered, right. They've been labeled as, you know, adolescent as not, not achieving those like adult criteria that we want them to, but at the same time, the focus needs to sort of selfishly be about their journey in the moment. And I think if parents can find and strike that happy balance, that happy medium of being there, being involved, but also allowing the child to, to spread their wings, to grow up, to, to maybe take on some of these adult characteristics, then we've got a successful recipe for, you know for college athletics doing what what they hope they do. But if, if our support smothers the student athlete, then they don't develop into this, you know, independent um, college age kid that we all want them to be in addition to being the good athlete. So I think again, striking that happy medium and doing so probably through these conversations that we've been talking about around, you know, Hey, how involved do you want me to be? You, You know, do you want to talk every day? Do you want to talk every couple of days? do You want to talk once a weekend? So, so sort of giving the student athletes what they want and what they need to allow them to be independent, but at the same time, feel supported and loved and taken care of.
0: So colleges have tried to adapt to this increasing presence of parents by providing more and more parent services. But in sports, from what everything I can tell and have heard and read that many coaches I've talked to over the years, college coaches don't really want parents meddling in their programs. So how do you essentially align those two things?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a time and a place and I encourage coaches to, to bring parents in, in a respectful way with the understanding that, that, Hey, this is my program as a coach. This is our program as a university. You're not going to have a say in what we're doing on the field, but we also want to bring you in as part of the family, right? We want you to be in the know in terms of what's happening with your student athletes, in terms of how you can best support them in the hours that they're not spending with us as coaches and as administrators. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the best coaches are very artful in the way that they bring parents into the fold and make them feel like they're part of the journey while at the same time creating enough of a wall that the student athlete is allowed to experience the journey for him or herself, right? And and the growing up process that takes place. So so an example, right? Um, if, if a student athlete is dealing with a mental health concern, the, the coach is able to loop them in and say, hey, like, here's what we're seeing. We'd, we'd love for you to be an additional resource for your student athlete or to help us reach out on their behalf to find the resources that are necessary. That seems appropriate for the parent, you know, to be there and to be involved. At the same time, you know, you, you've you probably seen examples of of parents that are confronting coaches on road trips because, hey, why didn't my kid play? Or, hey, why did you make this decision? Or, uh you know and and that's of course on the not appropriate side of parent involvement so for coaches i think laying out the groundwork the expectations and i think you talked about sort of parent resources parent education that's a great way to do it right whether that be in a preseason meeting or at an ongoing basis through you know newsletters or forums or sort of open office hours whatever it might be you know keeping them in the know because parents parents are very invested right not just monetarily but they've been raising this this young human being for for 18 years, and then, and then they dropped them off at the doorstep to college. And I think it's hard to, to simply cut that cord as much as we might want to ask parents to do that. So I think co- for coaches, respecting and honoring that journey that parents have been on with their kids, appreciating that parents might actually know more about the athlete than, than the coach does, at least at the beginning, and that there might be something the parent knows and is valuable that the coaches don't. I think leading into that and not sort of just putting up that wall or that barricade can be quite valuable. And then now you've got, now you've got a parent or a set of parents who is an advocate for you as a coach, for your program. They're on the journey. They feel some, some ownership of it too.
0: As you mentioned, you have a couple of kids who play competitive sports. I think they're skiers, ski racers, hockey players. How has your background in playing competitively and researching child parent relationships in sports impacted your own view of competitive sports as a parent? And how has all of that shaped your behavior as a parent of talented
1: athletes? Um, at times, not as much as I want. Sometimes I have to like take off dad hat and put on researcher hat and say, "Check yourself, Dr. Dorsh." Um, but you know, I think sure it's a great starting place for me as a parent. I mean, knowing the research, having done a lot of the research, I think is a, is a wonderful you know sort of platform for for launching my relationship with my kids. At the same time, it's also made me, I think, appreciate the, the parents that I study because now that I'm, you know, as shoot, as a master's student, as a PhD student, I didn't have children yet. And I was studying these parents and in many cases telling parents how to parent without really having the layered expertise and, and experience of having been one. So now I think it's added uh, some great knowledge and wisdom. If, if I can be so bold into my own research agenda in the sense that I, I maybe understand parent concerns, parent emotions better than I did before. I've I've had emotional outbursts. Don't tell anybody, Um, you know. And, and so I understand that sort of bubbling volcano of what it is to be a youth sport parent at times. And I think it's allowed me to ask some 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 more nuanced questions of my research participants to design studies in a way that would allow me to get at some of the more intricate questions that might be involved in in parents' involvement. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like other parents, just hope that I I I don't wreck my my kids' experience. I want them to have a wonderful experience, like I did. And and look, we're all human, and I think my kids acknowledge that I'm human too, and 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 I, of course, them. But yeah, I think it's given me a nice platform um, to to be as good of a parent as I can. Never perfect, because that's not possible. But um, it's it's afforded me some tools.
0: That's great. It sounds like it's humbled you in some ways, maybe too.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, look, being a parent is hard in all domains. And I think it it's also hard in sports, especially when your kids want to achieve at a high level. And when you want that for them, you know, you've got to draw that line in the sand of, am I wanting this for me or am I wanting this for them? And it's allowed me, I think, to be a little more empathetic as to their journey, having been an athlete through all the stages. So I, I kind of understand what they're going through, what their goals are. But at the same time, I don't want to just sort of bombard them with that knowledge. I I, I want it to emerge for them as it did for me. And then I'll be there, you know, to support along the way.
0: Do you do anything in your own home regarding kind of more formally having these kinds of
1: conversations with your kids? Not formally at all. We do a lot of informal you know, conversing that's around the dinner table or in the car or on the field or, or hill or wherever we are. But I try and keep it super low key. I don't want them to ever feel like it's, you know, it's okay. Now it's Dr. Dorsch time and, you know dad, the sports psychologist is going to talk to us about what we have to do. I I just sort of imbue it into our everyday life. I mean, I think sport doesn't exist in a vacuum and we don't treat it that way in our family. I mean, we're all the time watching sports, playing sports, talking about sports. So it just sort of gets imbued to my general parenting. I don't think like parenting and sport parenting need to be separate. I think it's all, it's all the same.
0: Speaking of parenting, you're working on a uh, kind of creating a quality parenting framework for lots of sports organizations. And you've distilled it down into a handful of behaviors parents should be thinking about. Can you share a few ideas from your research?
1: Yeah, for sure. So this project started as a collaboration with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, as well as some really great colleagues from across the country and world. So I don't want to take full credit for this, but I think you know, one of the things we tried to do is match this as a, as a document, as a resource to what USOPC came out with maybe 10 or 12 years ago now, and that was their quality coaching framework which provided a bunch of tips, tools, resources to coaches under the umbrella of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic movement. So we tried to create kind of a sister document for parents and, and and really it's it's actually more for coaches, but how to bring parents into the fold, into the conversation. So again, this applies broadly. It's not sports specific. It applies to you know all those sports that follow under the kind of the big NGB umbrella of U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So really, we tried to use some alliteration here, and the four the four pillars that we came up with were affordance. So affordance is basically giving your kids, providing your kids opportunities to play, right? And that's going to necessitate time, money, energy, emotion, really everything that it takes to get your kids out there to the field, slopes, gyms, wherever. Um, so we want to afford our kids opportunity. And that aligns really nicely for what it's worth with what we talked about earlier about this sampling stage of sport involvement, right? We just want to basically give our kids that opportunity by affording them the resources necessary to play. The second A, the second pillar is alignment. And we've talked about this some. So aligning our goals to our kids' goals. And then more than that, really ensuring that our and our kids' goals align with the mission of the program that we sign them up for, right? Like if our kids want to play soccer with their friends and pick dandelions, and then we align our goals to that. So we're going to get them in a rec soccer program. We're not going to go put them on that AAU travel soccer you know, club team. We want to make sure that we're all aligned, that us, our kids, and the program in which they're participating are all aligned. And I think that necessitates ongoing seasonal conversations with your athlete, but also with the coaches and administrators for those clubs and teams where your kids are participating. The third A, the third pillar is acceptance. And I think what we mean by acceptance is that This is our kid's journey. And we can't be mad about our kid's journey. We can't be mad if they're 10 and want to play with their friends and pick dandelions, even though we want them to go and be an Olympic soccer player. So we need to accept and then continue to afford the opportunities for our kids to participate in the ways and the means by which they want. And then the final pillar, the final A is awareness. If you can't spot that parent on the sidelines, you probably are that parent. And I think it's important that we just have some general awareness. Some of us come to sport uh, as parents with a rich history of participation. Other parents come having never picked up a ball or a bat or a racket and don't really know what to expect as a sport parent. But all of us should be engaged in the learning community of, of what it means to, you know, to be an effective youth sport parent. We should be learning from the coaches, from the athletes, from you know, soccer for dummies, if it takes that. But we should be engaged in the community and wanting to learn and have some awareness, some social awareness around our kids' participation in sport. So, really with those four A's, affordance, alignment, acceptance, and awareness, we're off on our journey now to being, you know, I think a quality youth sport parent. And then of course, it's it's like anything else. It's going to take continued learning, continued engagement, conversations with the key stakeholders, namely our children our spouses or partners, if we have others in the household that are, that are helping us raise the kids. And I think it's important that we just, you know, continue to look and feel like we haven't arrived, like it's a journey. And, and we talked earlier about my experiences as an expert in this field. I I need to maintain that idea that, look, I can continue to get better as a sport parent every day. And that should be, you know, for me through every parent out there, we should all be trying to get better and just create the best experience for our kids possible.
0: Dr. Doris, thank you so much. This has been terrific. Great advice, amazing research. Congratulations on that. Keep it up and um, best of luck with everything
1: you do next. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it being with you today. And uh, God bless to all those parents out there. It's a great journey. It's an important journey. And uh, just keep it about the kids and we'll all have fun along the way. Thanks, Travis.
0: That's going to do it for this time. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any episodes. And if you know someone who could benefit from listening to the show, please send them a link to this episode. See you next time.